Welcome to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR. I'm Claire Sheridan from the Historical Society of Rockland County. About a month ago, on January 16th, Arcadia Publishing released its newest book in their wonderful Image of America series. And we're delighted that its title is Orangetown. I'm pleased to welcome today for the second time to the program the historian for the town of Orangetown, Mary Cardenas. In addition to being the historian for the town, Mary is also the director of the Orangetown Historical Museum and Archives. This museum operates two historic houses in Orangetown. So Mary, in addition to all of her other duties, was a key contributor to this wonderful new book, Orangetown. Welcome once again to Crossroads of Rockland History, Mary. Thank you for inviting me. It's a golden opportunity to speak about this book and I'm very happy to be here. Good. Well, I had pre-ordered my copy uh, from Amazon.com, so I received mine the first day it was out. So it's been a lot of fun to look through it. So congratulations on this publication. How do you feel about it? Well, I think it's long overdue, and it explains to the new residents in the Orangetown community how the government, the local and the county government is set up. As town historian, I used to get a number of phone calls to find out where different agencies were located. And a couple of times I got a phone call uh, wondering where the Pearl River Municipal Building was located. And that gave me the idea of this book. You know, how, how do I explain where things are? How is the government set up? Knowing that you saw a need for a book like this, how did it actually come about? Well, that question, where is the Pearl River Municipal Building, kind of kicked off the idea. And in doing the book, I try to explain where things are located and how the government is set up and why it is set up that way. For example, Orangetown has six hamlets and four river villages, and it has a little piece of Nanuet. Nanuet is also a hamlet, but it's divided up amongst uh, Ramapo and Clarkstown. But I focus on the six hamlets. A hamlet is a very small community, but it can't afford a police department or a DPW or garbage uh, uh, collection. But if it bands together with other small communities, they can afford to do this, whereas a village is incorporated and can do this for different reasons. They may have industry, whereby the taxes coming from that industry can support those agencies. And can you uh, talk a little bit about who the other key contributors were to this book? There was one. Paul Clark collaborated with me. This book was about a year and a half in the making. We did tap into other municipal historians, other local historians, and people that we knew were longtime residents in different communities to help us with photographs, stories, and just reminiscing about growing up in the different communities. And we know from past programs, namely our program with Craig Long, the county historian, who authored a similar book about Suffern, that these Arcadia Image of America series books have a very specific set of guidelines. Isn't that correct? Yes, it's kind of a cookie-cutter type operation. The captions can be no longer than 75 words. The introductions can be no longer than 350 words. When I first started this book, I had an introduction of between, for each chapter, between 12 and 1,500 words. Certainly, it had to be adjusted. The photos have to be just so with no, they frown on photoshopping the photographs. 
So we, we had a hard time kind of deciding on the photographs we could use. So was that sort of a team effort? Did you, did you sort of come together and work, work that out as a team? Yes, we did. We went to a number of libraries. We tapped into a number of private collections. And the uh, introductions, the long introductions that I created had to be tailored. And we were able, luckily, to take some of that text and use it for captions. The Images of America series are very heavy on images. Did you find that you struggled to find enough images for the book? That was a real challenge because what we were aiming for were photographs of the different places that were not used in other books or publications. So that became, a, uh, I'll say, a, a big challenge, so to speak. We were lucky because we tapped into a number of private collections, including Bob Knight's postcard collection, and that kind of pulled it together right there. Excellent. So you mentioned that you found them through private collections and in some of the libraries. Are there any other sources that you found for the photographs? Well, we uh, tapped into a couple of books that had maps that were utilized, two of them, the one on Pearl River and the one of the Tapan uh, patent. So we utilized those. We had to convert some of the slides into actual that, that we borrowed into actual photographs. And again, in doing that, sometimes you, you lose the image. So you have to be really selective. And I noticed that the book has been broken down into chapters using geography as your dividing line. So each town ha having its own chapter, Blavel, Tapan, Palisades, and so on. So how is the decision made to break down the content in this way versus a timeline, for example? Well, it's broken down according to historical significance. For example, the first chapter <clears throat> is on Tapan. Now, Tapan was the first county seat. It was called Tappantown. It had a courthouse. It was the place that George Washington headquarters there three different times. He was also caught in a winter storm and spent another time at the DeWint House. Palisades is our second choice because it was there that a blockhouse was formed. The Sneedens Ferry ran across to Dobbs Ferry and it was in service for just under 217 years with a short period where it didn't operate. And there were a number of other factors that were taken into consideration in, into how the areas were selected in order. I showed this book to a friend of mine who grew up in Blauvelt, and he really got a kick out of flipping through it, each image reminding him of a childhood memory. Do you find that your readers are having a similar experience with this book? Yes, particularly the longtime uh, and the older generation who were native or who lived here for many years. They can relate quite easily. Uh, in the next generation down, so to speak, uh, they enjoy the photographs of what yesteryear was like in Orangetown. And I don't know what the younger generation quite thinks about it yet. I will go into the schools with my PowerPoint presentation, and I'll let you know about that. Okay, great. Most of us are familiar with the Arnold-Andre affair and that Camp Shanks was a critical embarkation point during World War II. But can you talk a little bit about some of the lesser-known historical things that happened in Orangetown and how they are treated in this book? Well, for one thing, the Washington uh, Carlton Papers. Now, the Washington Carlton Papers was an agreement between the British and the Continentals kind of ending the war, and it had some high points in it. George Washington met with Sir Guy Carlton at the DeWint House. 
where they dined, and then they talked about the papers. So that that's significant. It was off Sneedon's Landing that a 17-gun salute was fired off the British HMS ship Perseverance. That's one of the uh, kind of lesser-known things. Another thing is the Clarkstown Country Club, which was in South Nyack. It had about 160 acres and 34 buildings. It had a small zoo of elephants. And actually, it was kind of a commune for famous people. Eventually, it waned in the 1940s, and the buildings in the area was bought up by the Nyack Missionary College. Another interesting thing is a little building just south of the Blauvel Diner. It used to be a meatpacking place. It is now selling tires, but it, it's a building that was a, a recording sound studio for Bruce Springsteen, and I don't think a lot of people know about that. We were sort of reminiscing about that a little bit, not just some, some people from the Historical Society, and some of the older gentlemen said they saw him all the time at the Peanut Grill. Yes. So Bruce Springsteen, he might be a Jersey boy, but he did spend some time in Orangetown, yes, so that's he good did. to know. You're listening to WRCR and Crossroads of Rockland History. I'm Claire Sheridan. We're speaking with Mary Cardenas, the historian for the town of Orangetown, who was a key contributor to the new Arcadia Image of America book entitled Orangetown. Looking through this book, it is really full of images, which I love. And can you talk about a few of your favorite images, Mary? Well, on page 112 is a photograph of uh, police chief George Klein, and you see him in his police car with a lost or stranded goose. That, that's kind of a one-of-a-kind photo. But the reason I really enjoyed this particular photo, it was donated to the Orangetown Museum by one of our oldest volunteers, Jack Geist, who remembers Chief George Klein. And another photo is the tub races at Fort Comfort Inn, and it shows a simpler form of recreation in a simpler time. That's on page 46. Yeah, I love that photo with the little goose as the passenger in the car. It's very, very funny. I was really interested in the, the photo, which actually is uh, opposite that photo of the observation post that was built in 1942 as part of the civil defense program where volunteers would watch for you know, scan the skies for German aircraft. And I had, one, going on one of our uh, day trips, I was sitting next to a woman whose father was one of the people who did that as, as a young boy. And I find that, you know, it was fascinating that there, you know, were people doing that. So can you talk a little bit about that? There are a number of photos showing kind of that, th that kind of thing where there, um, there were plane spotters in the area, which is little known. And the only thing that remains of that structure are just the uh, concrete supports. But not many people remember what really happened or, or how Hudson Valley prepared for, for the war or prepared for the defense of the Hudson Valley. Yeah, yeah I thought it was, uh, it was wonderful. The, another one that I like is the photo of, that was dated a year after the opening of the Tappan Zee Bridge that shows the first volunteer underwater rescue and recovery team that was created by the Piermont Fire Department. And I think this is also fascinating that um, necessity is the mother of invention and with a bridge like that, um, obviously they needed to create this sort of underwater rescue team. Well, Claire, in, in addition to that, that was the first one, but since that uh, team was created, a number of other teams, one I think, believe in Tarrytown and a, uh, a few others further north on the Hudson River, were created. 
And uh, every time there's a problem, these teams are called out. When you were going through this process of selecting the photos, did each of the team members that you worked with have a personal favorite that wanted to get in the book, and did they all make it? Well, to begin with, there were only two of us on this team, <laughs> Paul Clark and myself. Uh, I told you about my favorites, but Paul's favorite were the ones of moving the houses in, in Grandview. Those are pretty stark photographs, and it's hard to imagine seeing a house coming down a broad way, being prepared for location at another site. So that, that, that's impressive in itself. And are there any images that you could not put in because of space or technical constraints? Yes, there were a number of uh, images, one of which was the ice house in Spark Hill. And that would have, well, it's kind of partly in Spark Hill, partly in Piermont. Uh, that would have been a nice one because today uh, it's gone. But kids still ice skate on, on uh, the little pond that used to create the ice that was housed in this ice house. And can you speak a little bit about uh, the different influences that existed in the early development of the town and, and what made Orangetown unique because of these influences? Well, to begin with, Orangetown was settled by the Dutch, and the Dutch came in with their own type of architecture and their own religion, Dutch Reformed Church. We still have evidence of that in Orangetown. We have a number of sandstone houses. Some of them are truly Dutch. Some of them have a British touch to it. Uh, you see the types of roofs have changed. When you see the early houses, you see a very steep-pitched roof like the one on the DeWint House. There's the house on Orangebird Road in Pearl River that has a mansard-type roof. Well, that's different. But as time goes on, there are different people that come through and populate the area and have their own ideas about architecture, churches, or religion. And that's part of the tapestry here in, in Orangetown. How is Orangetown being influenced now? Right now, we, we see uh, some new uh, ethnic groups coming in. We see Korean churches and grocery stores. We see a, an Indian restaurant and a, another grocery store. And again, it just enhances this tapestry of folks that live here in Orangetown. And what are some of the longest running businesses or traditions in Orangetown that are still with us? Well, the 76 house has been officially a restaurant or a tavern since Philip Dubai obtained a tavern license in 1801 and it's still functioning as a tavern. In the uh, Tapan, the Tapan Reformed Church, formerly the Dutch Reformed Church, has been around since it was formed in 1694. The church you see there now is probably the fourth structure on that same site. The first one was probably a uh, wooden structure, and um, there are three more on top of it. Now, the manse, which houses the minister of the church, was built in 1726, and it still houses the ministers that serve this particular church. With the news of the fast-tracking of the rebuilding of the Tappan Zee Bridge, can you give us a bit of perspective with regard to the construction of the first bridge? With the construction of the first Tappan Zee Bridge, there were 123 properties that were affected. There were some properties affected in Grandview. With the new bridge coming in, there'll be very few properties that will be destroyed or affected, which, which is a good thing. The damage has already been done, but looking at South Nyack, they suffered the most. On a more general note, as the town historian, what do you think our generation isn't paying enough attention to relating to the history of Orangetown? You know, history is being made at such a fast rate. 
you know unless it affects us directly or personally the attitude towards history is very we're ambivalent towards it i don't think the history that's being made in orange town now the children the students in orange town pay too much attention because there's so much else going on but it's important that they learn because the early history of orange town as with throughout the country was was built on the precepts of the bill of rights and we got to know what this is all about can you tell us a little bit about the orange town historical museum and archives and what's happening now and and how people can get involved or learn more the orange town museum is celebrating its 20th anniversary actually in september of this year the museum has installed over 25 exhibits not including the holiday exhibits we are preparing to install our next exhibit. We are Orange Town, which is based on the book Orange Town, and we welcome the public to stop in and see the progress of this installation. People should come and see what goes into an exhibit and really how it's done. At that point, maybe they'd like to join us and volunteer, even if, even if it's just for a few short hours. We welcome that. So you're actually opening the museum during the setup, which is very interesting. Yes. Uh, again, you know, people come in, they see a, a beautiful exhibit, but what they don't know is what went into the installation of that exhibit. Our curator, Elizabeth Scrabanya, started preparing for this way back in, in August or September and developing a plan, a workable plan, in, in putting together this exhibit. And things change. So what was planned back then may be subject to a change today. It depends upon how things work. So this exhibition, We Are Orange Town, will it follow the book uh, to some degree? Yes, to some degree. Some of the things you see in the book will have a relevance in the exhibit by way of objects or photographs. And so that exhibition opens when? It opens on April 22nd and runs through November 16th. We are open on Tuesdays from 10 to 2, on Sundays 1 to 4, and always by appointment. And also we welcome walk-ins. Okay, that's great. So it's wonderful to know that this is going to be not only this great book, but uh, an exhibition too. That's great. So if someone were interested in, in buying the book, uh, the Images of America <coughs> book, um, how do they get it? They can, well, they can stop by the museum. We're located at 196 Chief Bill Harris Way, formerly Blaisdell Road, or they can call the museum at uh, area code 845 398-1302 and we'll be glad to have you come by and pick up a copy. Okay, great. And I think for those of you who want to order it, you can get it from Amazon.com. You can also get it directly from the Arcadia Publishers. So, But the best way to get it, obviously, is to go to the museum because then you get to see Mary and the progress on that exhibition. So I just wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the photos in the book. I was particularly interested in a photo of the the early Nyack Fire Department, which really was fantastic. Now, this one was courtesy of the Nyack Library. Did you find a lot of photos from that library? We got our photos from several very good sources. One was the Historical Society of Rockland County. Another very good source was the Nyack Library. And another good source was Palisades Library. And the biggest source, I believe, was Bob Knight's postcard collection. So between all those collections and, and some of the private collections, we were able to decide 
what was usable, what was suitable, because not all photographs that we chose were suitable for publication, and they were bounced back by Arcadia. And as I said before, Arcadia frowns on photoshopping the photographs. However, there were two cases where we insisted upon using these photographs. We enhanced, darkened one of them, and the other one we couldn't darken too well. But it was the best and only photograph that uh, demonstrated what we were doing. Did you get any technical assistance with the preparation of the photos? Yes, we did. We had help from the Bergen camera who helped us darken the photographs that, that we, we needed. And th then they were approved by the Arcadia publishers. That's great. Another really sweet shot is the Soapbox Derby. That is from 1949 to 1963 in Pearl River, which was sponsored by the Rotary. I think, I mean, it, it, this has been revived. It, it, it was discontinued in the 70s, but it's now uh, back again. But this is a great shot of a lot of folks out watching this, the uh, Soapbox Derby. Can you talk a little bit about what it means that that's been revived now and, and uh, is that something that, that you're pleased about? Yes. As a matter of fact, you asked me about how we can relate this kind of thing to our exhibit. We had a donation of a soapbox derby car that was given to us by a first prize winner, a fellow named, I can't think of his first name, but his last name was King. And that will be in the exhibit. I'm happy that they revised the Soapbox Derby. There's a lot of interest in this, and I think it's, it's, it's a great thing for the kids to get involved with. And especially to see, you know, how different the cars are today yes. than what the way they look like we looked before. There's also a great overhead shot of the Letterly 99-acre site, which is, you know, there's just some really wonderful images in this book, and I some of which I don't recall seeing anywhere else, which I think is, you know, I think that's the kind of thing that the Arcadia publishers want is certainly there are some images that we've seen before, but... Um, there are some here that, that I don't think anybody you know, will ever recall seeing, so that's, that's very exciting. Did you find that they were really looking for sort of unique, rarely seen photos? Exactly, and that's what our aim was, to obtain photographs that ha haven't been used before or seen before by the public. For example, there's two photographs in there of the 76 house when it fell into the street. The uh, building itself was boarded up by its owner of some 40 years because, and it was boarded up because he got tired of people taking little souvenirs out of it. Although I don't know why he didn't use it for other reasons, but it board, was boarded up. And I kind of think if a house is boarded up for a long time, it tends to disintegrate, which is exactly what happened. And it, the front end of it fell into the street. In 1897, the building was purchased by Marianne and Charles Pike. They reassembled the front of the building and again made it into a very nice tavern and restaurant as we have today. I have to say that Rob Norton, the current owner, spent a lot of money refurbishing it and it, it's, he did a wonderful job. Yeah, and I think when one sees these images, it is remarkable that it was restored because you know you see some places today that are demolished with, comparatively speaking, minor damage compared to what this house had experienced. So it is, it's remarkable that that was restored. And I, I have to thank the Historical Society of Rockland County for a lot of those 
photographs, particularly those two photographs, because really nobody's seen them before or maybe not in that context. Well, you know, we do have thousands and thousands of artifacts and images, and it's difficult to, to show them. So we're, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to share those with, with the public in a book like this. And I know that Craig, when he was writing his book about um, Suffern, and I think there's a book in the works about Rockland Lake, we are really pleased to be able to share these images with the public in this way. And again, I am really very grateful to the Historical Society for the use of their photographs. Great. Well, it's, it's a pleasure. Is there anything, any sort of closing comments you'd like to make about the book in general or, or about uh, what's happening in Orangetown? Yes. One of the comments that I got yesterday afternoon from somebody who came by and picked up a book was, this book is long overdue. It finally makes sense how this town operates. And that was a nice thing to say because that was the aim in putting this book together. Orangetown is a growing community like all other communities, and I think each town needs to show what life was like in the last century. Most of the photographs of, in this book are in the early part of the 20th century. We didn't go beyond, I think, 1950 or 1956. That was the uh, youngest photograph we had, and that was with the Pyrmont underwater unit. We tried to show yesteryear, and that was the mission. Well, it's, it's a wonderful book, and um, I wish you all the best and with it as, it as it continues to sell, and, and especially with the exhibition. So that's our program today. I'd like to thank Mary Cardenas, the historian for the town of Orangetown and the director of the Orangetown Historical Museum and Archives. To learn more about getting a copy of the new book or to find out what's happening at the Orangetown Museum, you can visit their website at www.orangetownmuseum.com. And I hope you will tune in next time on Monday, March 19th at 10.10 a.m. following the Steve and Charlie Morning Show, when our topic will be the Irish of Rockland County. On the morning after the 50th annual Pearl River St. Patrick's Day Parade, we'll explore all things Irish in Rockland with some special guests, including St. Thomas Aquinas professor George Leahy, our next program will be sponsored by the Historical Society of Rockland County, where there are fun things being planned for the spring. Historical day trips, a family fun day featuring the Bossy Frog Band, and lots more. For more information about these programs, once again visit our website at www.rocklandhistory.org or call us at 634-9629. And please remember to look for us on Facebook. I'm Claire Sheridan. Thanks for listening to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR.